When I stand accused by my regrets And the devil roars his empty threats I will preach the gospel to myself That I am not a man condemned For Jesus Christ is my defense My sin is nailed to the cross My soul Good day and welcome to Theology in the Dirt. We want to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. We record Theology in the Dirt from Global Impact Restoration Rome, where we work to address the foster care and adoption crisis in Northwest Georgia, the state of Georgia, the Southeast, and the world as we practice our theology in the public square. You can check out Restoration Rome by going to restorationrome.org. My name is Mitchell Jolly. And I'm Chris Hayes. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Now it's time to get to some headlines. Well, Chris, today on some of my quick hit headlines, uh, Israel launched airstrikes at targets in Gaza and Lebanon early Friday morning after about 35 rockets were fired from Lebanon into northern Israel Thursday afternoon. The cross-border fighting marked the most significant escalation in hostilities between the two countries since 2006 war. A spokesman for the Israeli military said Hamas was behind the attacks from Lebanon, though no group claimed responsibility. Uh, The National Security Council on Thursday released the Biden administration's 12-page assessment of the August 2021 withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan, acknowledging the administration should have warned Americans and Afghan partners earlier about the risk of Afghan government's collapse. Uh, They culled several government agency reviews. Uh, The document also faults the Trump administration for negotiations with the Taliban to the exclusion of the Afghan government in 2020 and poor withdrawal planning. Supreme Court ruled Thursday. This one will be hard not to comment on. The Supreme Court ruled Thursday without explanation and over dissents from Justices Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas against West Virginia's request to bar a 12-year-old transgender student from track team under state law that mandates participation on girls' squads be limited to biological women. Meanwhile, the Biden administration's proposed a new Department of Education rule Thursday that would allow schools to block some transgender students from competing on teams aligned with their gender identities, but forbid blanket bans. The proposal argues such bans violate Title IX, which prohibits schools receiving federal funding from discriminating on the basis of sex. The rule have appeared a public comment before going into practice. That's going to have to be a podcast. Republicans, this is my last one, Republicans in the Tennessee House on Tuesday voted to expel two Democrat members, Representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, for uh, after accusing them of breaches and decorum for protesting against gun violence in the House floor after six people were killed in a school shooting in Nashville last week. Jones, who represents the district of Nashville, uh, could be reappointed to his seat in a matter of days, and Pearson, who represents parts of Memphis, has said he will run for his now open seat. And those are some headlines for today. And good stuff there, or good, maybe not the right word, but <laughs> it's news. interesting stuff there, news right, for sure. Right. Um, I've got one local one and then a, a funny one and then a positive one because the local one's not positive. And just, I was just horrified what happened earlier this week um, at Chick-fil-A here in Rome. Yeah. Um, there was a, a murder-suicide in the drive-thru at, I think, a little after 7 a.m. 
nothing to do with Chick-fil-A, to be clear. It was just, it was a, sounds like a jealous boyfriend who got out and shot his girlfriend who was driving one car and then turned the gun on himself. And, you know, having friends that work there at that Chick-fil-A, I just, my, my prayers first go out to the families that lost people, that lost loved ones for whatever reason, that's not good. Yeah. Um, and then also to the Chick-fil-A staff there. Cause I, you know, you think about a lot of young people there, um, in, in no matter what age having like, that's not something you're waking up in the morning expecting to experience right. when you go to work. And so, um, I know Greg will do a good job of yeah. taking care of his people, but that's that's tough. So that is hard. Um, shout out to those folks. Hope that they are doing okay, and we'll continue to pray for those folks involved. Um, uh, from a funny one that kind of you kind of hit with you talked about the transgender stuff. There's this video of this lady who's like on some kind of news show or talk show who's like, "When our children tell us who they are, we need to listen," and it's gone kind of viral because most of us who are normal people are like. No, we don't. But this, but there, somebody posted that video, and then right. it immediately goes to this dad talking to his child with a car on fire in the background, and he's like, "You told me you were a fire truck, and now what? You just gonna stand there?" And that's awesome. <laughs> so I just that's amazing. I busted out laughing at that because I'm like, you know, our children say there are a lot of things, and no, we shouldn't just listen and accept it and just go for it. So parenting uh, tip: do not trust your kids ever. Yes. <laughs> Never trust your children, even when they're 18. Um, and then my last one for today is, man, this is one of my favorite weekends of the year. It's Masters weekend. Whether you like golf or not, it, there's just something special about yeah. that event, the tournament, the, you know, atmosphere, um, the fact that they're probably never going to get tickets to it because <laughs> it's <laughs> nearly impossible. Right. But they're so – and um, I read something today, like the Masters leaves about 250 to $300 million on the table every year because of things like they don't – their merch shop, it's only there. They don't sell online. But the stuff that people buy there and resell online go for hundreds of dollars. Right. Um, and then, you you know, the food prices are so cheap there. They're the same prices they've been for, you know – over half a century yeah and um ticket prices it's like 400 if, if you happen to get the lottery it's only like 450 dollars for an entire week pass and the people turn around and sell those online for four or five grand right so but I, but they do that because they and that they don't charge they don't make any money off the tv rights. they let espn and cbs do it for free yeah because in exchange for them having control over right what's being shown so i get that but i get that too and i think one of the things I love about that is the tradition of the Masters is more important than the um, financial boom they get off of it, which I which I, is still I, unbelievable. Yeah, they're still doing pretty good, but it's I've something about it still it, it is special, man. I don't watch any other golf tournament the rest of the year. I keep up with UGA golfers, yeah, um, but I don't watch any more tournaments. But I will stink and move heaven and earth to watch the Masters. I don't know why. The part three why. contest on Wednesday with the kids wow. and the family. Like, it's just the whole thing is cool. It is cool. I, I agree. That's good stuff, man. Those are my headlines I for like the your, day. I like <laughs> your headlines, man. Now it's time for the show. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's time for the final countdown. The show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 
Let's rock. Thank you, voice. Well, today, uh, where we are uh, at this point in time, the Eastern Time Zone, it is Good Friday. And today on our 80th episode yeah. of Theology in the Dirt, we want to talk about Jesus' death and resurrection because it is not just the Master's Weekend, it's Easter Weekend. Which, which is I more was laughing on clarify. the inside. I was like, "Yeah, that's why you like this weekend." But it's I don't I don't know that the, the Masters normally doesn't happen on Easter weekend. It just fell this time. Yeah, right? that's not it, normal. Not every week. Not every year. It's not. Yeah. So, but this is a Good Friday, and this is Easter weekend, and so uh, today being Good Friday, um, it's a day we remember Jesus' crucifixion. And uh, question: Why do we call it Good Friday, and why is it where we live? Um, most people, not all people, but a lot of people have Good Friday off. It's a holiday. So we talk about the death of Jesus, his crucifixion, his resurrection today. That's that's a kind of a, a decent little segue. Why is Good Friday good? We're talking about crucifixion. And why do people have this day off? Yeah, it, it almost feels odd to call it Good Friday, I think, right. when you think about it was a very dark day. Right. Um, but obviously the reason we call it, as believers, we call it Good Friday is because it's the day that the penalty for our own sins mm. was abolished. It was done away with. Yeah. And um, so the the evil and the darkness, and we'll get into some of that, of the crucifixion itself, produced a good that can't be paralleled. It can't be right. recopied. It can't yeah. be right. done again. And, and nor does he have to do it again. It was done once, and that was good enough. Yeah, that's good. And we have life. We have hope today because of this day because yeah. of what it represents. I do think it's interesting that it is, I mean, I'm off work today because of good Friday and right. not, not everybody is, but it is like a lot of the, a lot of the country is yeah. for different reasons. And it, it, which is, it feels ironic right. when you consider the political and the cultural landscape of where we're at now. Like, it seems like that would be one of the first ones to go. Right. Um, you Nobody's well, going to shun a good day off though. Right, yeah. <laughs> Whether exactly. they celebrate Good Friday or not, right? But yeah, we do. I mean, it, it, do. it shows how, um, I think when I talk a little bit about the resurrection in a few minutes, how um, the fact that there is a national holiday remembering the crucifixion of Jesus, it has some bearing on whether or not this is just a hoax or something legitimate historical happened. Like you don't give national holidays off for myths. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so Good Friday, it, it's good for all those things, you, all those things you said. And I, I think uh, it's important to remember that it's good because God kept his word. He made this promise. He set the pattern. He was going to do this. He was going to pay for the curse of sin so that mankind could step out from under it through faith in Jesus. And so it is Good Friday because Jesus died in our place for our sin. Indeed. Well, let's kind of dive into that a little bit. We're kind of kind of split it up today, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the crucifixion, and then, yeah. Mitch, you're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection. And not to dive too deep into it, because I think people understand it, or they know where to go read it, but we wanted to hit some yeah. important aspects. And so for our purposes today, um, you know, I wanted to kind of talk about some of the historical components, but I've got really kind of four main things I wanted to talk through about the crucifixion and and, you know, I know you'll have some some thoughts on some of this as well. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's really important we look at the historical aspects because there is a lot of evidence that not only that Jesus lived, but that all of this took place. That's and right. there are a lot of non-believing 
or I should say non-Christian historians who support the theology of the fact that there was a Jesus, um, the man who died, he was crucified, yeah. he was buried, he was risen again. And I think those are important. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything from the Ill, basically illegal trial that Jesus went under that was held at, um, I may say this wrong, Caiaphas, I think that's yeah. how you pronounce it. It's his, yeah. It was actually held at his house. Right. Um, and then the high priest Annas kind of oversaw it. This was not a legal way to do trials back then. You would have them in some sort of, you know, political building or courthouse type thing, not at someone's house. And and Annas and his family was known as a kind of corrupt high priest, corrupt family to begin with. Mm. Um, and so just from that aspect to the fact that, and of course they did that because they didn't want to do it in public, you know, because right. you can do a lot of dirty things in the secret in someone's house. Right. And the, all these political and religious leaders were there, um, you know, on hand already prepared to be part of this. Right. Uh, and then, you know, the irony that Pilate gave the crowd the choice, whether to save Jesus, an innocent man or Barabbas, uh, someone who'd actually committed the crimes that Jesus was being accused of. Right. Um, and, but even then there's a, there's a sacrifice. It goes from that one for one sacrifice mm-hmm. um, to one for all. Yeah. And, um, and there's a lot of people that believe Barabbas's first name was also Jesus, which I think is kind of that's interesting, interesting. Yeah. you know, and I, I, that's not, I don't know that there's a way to corroborate that 100%, but it was a popular name at the time. Yeah. Well, Barabbas is a, a political hero. He's been part of the insurrection. He's trying to get rid of Rome, so he is definitely a, a popular figure, um, and his murder was for the freedom of Israel, So, uh, and, and people people loved him. He right. was a prisoner of Rome. He certainly wasn't a prisoner of the nation of Israel. Right. Yeah. But but then again, you know, the pilot gives the people a choice, and of course they're going to choose the one who— 100% guilty of all these crimes instead of the one who's being accused. That's right. Um, and it's just, the whole thing is just interesting and we could get, we could dive a lot deeper into that. But my kind of my first uh, point of focus here is that when, especially when we talk about the historical context of crucifixion is it was the most gruesome, painful, humiliating death someone could receive at this time. And, and in fact, it's very likely that Jesus either witnessed crucifixions or at least was fully aware of them happening yeah. because where he grew up was probably just a few miles away from where hundreds or maybe even thousands of these took place. Right. And so I, I had never really processed that before, but when you think about that, it, it, this wasn't like a, I don't know what's about to happen. Yeah. Um, he knew there were times prior to, uh, in, in the, um, uh, before it, it's, it's recorded in some of the, the, uh, Roman, um, archives and some of the records there were there was one instance where they quelled the rebellion and crucified 800 i think it was 800 dissidents uh, on both sides of the road leading into jerusalem and right. and and had them all dying there as people were coming in and, and exiting and and so it was a gruesome grim reminder that we run this show yeah if you step up against us this is going to happen to you is all these 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 hundreds are dying we don't have a problem putting up one just for you right you know, so it's kind of like, dang, that brutality, it was intensely brutal. Absolutely, and they did it different ways. There was, you know, upside-down um, crucifixions. Uh, the most common shapes, if you will, of the cross were an X, uh, an uppercase T, mm-hmm. and then what kind of the, what was become the Christian symbol, kind of a lowercase T, where, mm-hmm. you know, you got the vertical bar that's a little bit taller and then the horizontal bar right. um, that Jesus was killed upon, um, as we believe to be that lowercase T, but... 
Um, even before the cross, he faced severe flogging, which if you don't know what that is, go look that up. Basically a fancier term for whipping, but the tool that they use for that, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemies. Yeah. Um, and then, then you factor in starvation, dehydration, right. exhaustion, uh, ridicule. And then he had to carry this unbelievably heavy wooden beam on his back to Golgotha. Right. And, um, and then again on the cross, the driving in of these large kind of railroad type spikes, these large nails, um, and if that wasn't painful enough, the longer you endured on the cross, the more flesh would tear away from those nails. Yeah. Um, the, uh, your joints, your shoulders, things would pop out of place. Like this was just a brutal, brutal death, way to die. Um, then you had the crown of thorns he had on his head. It was just, there wasn't much other brutal way to die. And, and mm-hmm. important to note, however, I think was that if someone was not dying fast enough for the soldier in charge there, he would order that their legs be broken. Right. Um, yeah. because they would use their legs to kind of lift the body up enough to be able to get so enough air get to breath, breathe. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in order to, you know, not prolong it too long, they would break the legs of those on the cross after a certain amount of hours, just so they could no longer do that. And eventually they would suffocate if they didn't die from everything else going on. But obviously that's, significant for us because if his legs had been broken he wouldn't have been able to walk out of the tomb yeah well well and 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 you have you have uh you have prophets speaking to not a bone of of the lamb of god so so even and, and this is a good bible study you read the accounts of the crucifixion and resurrection look at your references because you know some of their this is great byproduct of modern scholarship is you can see some of these you can see some of these references from the old testament prophets not a bone of the right. son of god would be broken so god saw that he saw to that son of god dying in a manner that will fulfill his word mm-hmm. and so and so not that god can or won't heal but the prophets had spoken not a bone would be broken and by gosh god kept his word he did yeah to the t and instead you know they they took the spear and pierced him in the side right uh, blood and water poured out which was a, a medical sign that he literally was dead yeah. Um, at that point. And, um, yeah, just a lot going on. The entire uh, – well, the second kind of ma- second major component I really want to focus on on the cross is – and this one I don't feel like is discussed enough, mainly just because of the brutality of the physical nature, right. uh, but just the sh- sheer humility of the entire event. It was yeah. meant to be more than just brutal and painful. It was uh, mocking. It was ridicule. He was spit on, thrown stuff at him. Um, and while he was clothed – Earlier in the process, they put you up on the cross completely naked right. just as another way to humiliate you. And we see that scripture where they, they took his clothes, they cast lots for it, basically sold those off yeah. um, as kind mm-hmm. of like memorabilia, basically yeah. what we would consider now. You think about game-used jerseys and hats going, this was happening yeah. there. And I don't say that in a funny way, but just it was all part of But they knew what they were doing. They knew this yeah. was a big deal, and people wanted – to yeah. cap pieces of that, yeah. not in a positive manner. Yeah. Um, so the entire process of his trial, uh, the public beating, all this was meant to humiliate and break him down. Yeah, I mean, you, you, the intent to to humiliate him as well as deter other people when they see when they see this. Um, I'm sure at that moment Jesus could have cared less about less about his clothing, um, but the people watching. There's there's this full spectrum of brutality for the dying and the people watching it, right? And 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 it, I mean the level of psychological as well as physical brutality is through the roof, mm-hmm. like it's it's in, it's insane, right? And, and and you're right. That's the good point because it was 
it was meant to be a very clear sign of like this is what happens if you yeah. do this because they didn't want anyone else rising up and they didn't want they certainly and I guarantee you they wouldn't probably not have admitted this but Pilate and a lot of these leaders were probably deathly afraid that someone like that his followers would rise up against them yeah and so yeah. they wanted to make it very clear if you associate any way with him you're going to end up with the same. Yeah. And so that's why they went, you know, they put the sign above his head, the crown of thorns on his head. All of this was a way to mock him and publicly um, just humiliate him on that's top right. of the the brutality. That's right. Um, my third point here was that Jesus was still doing ministry, even up to his final breath. Uh, and he saves the man next to him on the cross, um, which there are a lot of scholars that believe that he was, we just constantly hear he was the robber, but it turned out he was probably an insurrectionist as well. He was, I mean, just again, similar to what Jesus was being right uh, <laughs> crucified of. for, accused yeah. of, right. And I just you think about, especially when we just we've just laid out the entire brutality of the physical component, the beaten down mentally and emotionally, but even mm. in and of all of that, with the amount of excruciating pain and overwhelming emotions of the entire death of crucifixion, Jesus was still making a way, yeah, forgiving sinners and giving grace. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, we growing up in church, you know, you always hear about coming down and, you know, the sinner's prayer and we got to do all these things. And it's not that those things are bad, but I think this is one of those examples where to you just believe. Right. If you just believe right. in who he was, what he did for you, right. believe that he is God, yes. man, you get, you're in. You're in. <laughs> you know, it's this not, is a big deal. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and even at the end of your life, no matter what you've done, yeah. that can all be wiped away. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then lastly, just want to draw some attention to what happened right after Jesus died. There are four significant supernatural events that occur, um, and you, this is laid out in Matthew 27. Uh, first, there was a total solar eclipse during the final few hours of Jesus' life, and most believe that he was crucified in about mid-afternoon, somewhere around what we would consider like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So it should have been bright in daytime, but there was a total eclipse over the last few hours of his death, of his crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And so this was happening and happening in utter darkness, which all throughout uh, history, and especially in ancient times, darkness was considered a sign of judgment. You know, it was one of the plagues right. back even in Exodus in those right. times. And so just that darkness covering and the Lord c- causing that to happen was a sign that judgment was being happened, not from just on the people, on the Jesus, but the judgment yeah. happening for all of us. Yeah, through that. Mm. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so you you got you know the six a.m. is considered the first hour of the day, so the mm-hmm. third hour would be nine, the sixth hour would be noon, and so you got you got high, the height of the day. Right there is now darkness covering covering the earth, and so there's this there's this legitimate God working in the heavens to put on display for the world. This is a dark moment. It was. And I think that's important. And it was even we see that the Lord even turns away at that final hour from because he can't look upon. Yeah. That. And that's actually a fun debatable point. Right. I want to throw that out. I want to throw, throw that out for a second because I think it's super worthy because Psalm 22. Yeah. Psalm 22. It, and and here's the here's the debate. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I, I wrestled theologically with this because of um, – and I'm going to welcome anybody to, to, to give us some thoughts here. When the Lord cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is Jesus making a theological statement about the distance between the Father and the Son at that moment? And we have songs. The Father turned his face away. Um, or is Jesus 
exegeting Psalm 22. Right. Because when you read Psalm 22, Jesus is stating in those words, verse one of Psalm 22. And, and one of the, one of the techniques of teaching for a rabbi would be to quote the first passage or first line or sentence of a passage. They didn't have chapters and verses. Right. They knew, they knew the Psalm, they knew Psalms numerically to uh, which Psalm it was, but more important, it wasn't Psalm 22. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of his disciples who followed him and who knew their Old Testament would know that's, that's David's Psalm. Yeah. And they would know which Psalm it was. And when you read Psalm stinking 22, like it's almost a play by play of what's happening right there at the moment. And, and is Jesus making a statement about the father's distance from him? Or is Jesus making a statement about I fulfill what is written in this moment? And I, and I, I think, I think that's a worthy, I think that's worthy for people to meditate on because what's happening in that moment is Jesus is fulfilling the word of God. Like he is everything written about him and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms had to be fulfilled. Yeah, And so that's what he said. And so in Psalm 22, his disciples are watching this go down. They knew this Psalm. And when Jesus cries that out in their minds, are they going, oh my gosh, they're looking around and they're going, this is written by David this long ago. And I swear this is happening right now. They wagging their heads, they're walking by. And they, and, and like in their minds at that moment, like, Something's got to be going off in them going this. Like, like I get goosebumps thinking about that. Like what position were they in? What, did hope spring up at that point? They're like, okay, this is really hard, but like this is happening. And so what is Jesus pulling off in that moment? That's deep and rich because, man, the last verse of that psalm, oh, my gosh, I pulled this up. Um, the last two verses, uh, their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. And they will declare what he has done. My glory to God. So there's something going off there in Psalm 22 that's deep and rich and powerful. When the Lord cries out in the middle of his anguish there, something's happening. And it's connected to Psalm 22. I just did, man, if you guys haven't read Psalm 22, go read Psalm 22. And then go read the crucifixion accounts and marvel. Mm-hmm. Those are those things in the Bible where you read them and you go, this isn't a mistake. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. like this is either the best hoax that's ever been perpetrated on mankind. Like, literally. Somebody's like, hey, this would be awesome if we put these words from Psalm 22 in Jesus' mouth on the cross. Let's make this stuff up. Yeah. Great hoax. We got a day off today. Good job. Or Jesus is God, <laughs> and, yeah. he, and at that moment, and, and you don't have any option there. There's not a lot of room to run. No, there's You're no kinda, in between. No, no, there's no in between. This is legit the most amazing hoax ever played in the history of the world. Or there's a God in heaven, and He has orchestrated this moment in time so that we could all look and marvel and go, "Man, I think I, I think I need to be saved." Yeah. And so. I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought up that that moment because that that that's one of those Bible moments where you read that stuff and you go, mm, "This is real." And there's a lot of those, and I think that's yes. the coolest part is there's this yes. there's this there's prophecies in these foretelling that's been going on for generations. Yeah, that's now coming to a head here. That's right. And you're right. That's and I think that's why that the the heaviness of this whole thing is it. It's completely enough that he's just dying for our sins. Right. But when you think about this is the fulfillment 
of the promise. This is the fulfillment of the Messiah coming, and this is the fulfillment of that sacrifice, and just all these things happening That's right. at once. And you and we can debate on so many things as right. Christians from different denominations, but we can't debate on this. Uh, there is absolutely no leeway. That's right. In being a disciple and being a follower of Jesus, yeah, and you can't do that and not fully accept this whole process. That's exactly right. Uh, my last couple of notes here, and then we'll get to the resurrection. Um, the second component here of these four supernatural significant events, the curtain veil and the temple tore, but it didn't just tear, it tore from top to bottom. Mm. And that's significant because if it was bottom to top, then it would be easy to say, well, just somebody went in there and tore it. Now, granted, this was a thick, heavy curtain, so it would have been hard to tear anyway, but right. the fact that it tears from top to bottom Again, something else that's foretold in um, Scripture. Uh, just an incredible event in and of itself. Mm. Um, third, there was an earthquake, and which in Jewish history, uh, earthquakes usually accompanied major acts of God. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a significance of that happening in and of itself. Uh, and then those c- two things are kind of considered happening all at once, just as Jesus died, this earthquake. The veil is torn. And then the fourth one is that tombs were opened up. Yeah, and the bodies of holy people were raised to life, and I think that's even a component I forget about a lot because we yeah. think about like you remember I remember the earthquake, right. I remember the veil being torn, I remember the darkness, I remember all the stuff with Jesus, but I forget no, he he wasn't just about to raise life; he literally raised people to life in this moment. Yeah, and what what must have that have been like? <laughs> like yeah, like yeah. what if you're the guy that's like yeah. overseeing the uh, cemetery? Yeah, like what? Like what's happening? Walking out of tombs. Yeah, and you're like, um, and then like, did they just did they stay alive? Like, did they go visit their families? Like, I'm just, right. I, I know we don't have all that, and it's not maybe not significant enough right. with the rest of the story, but to just like that's yeah. like, what would you do? You're sitting at home having dinner, and then or right. lunch or whatever, and then like, here comes Grandpa Joe, who's yeah. been dead for 50 years, right? And I don't know. Yeah, again, I'm just yeah, no, making light of it, but that's a pretty incredible thing, absolutely, and um. So again, all these were just to signify the judgment that was poured out on Jesus mm-hmm. on our behalf, and I just say, glory. Yeah, <laughs> um, and there's a lot more we can go into, but I, I want to make sure we leave enough time to get into the resurrection. But I think I think Absolutely. those historical components are important so that we don't yeah. lose sight of this isn't just a myth. There are literal scientific things, and there's even a guy that I don't I don't know. So I don't want to say too much because I don't know how much truth there is. But they've done a lot of archaeological study on. The fact where the Ark of the Covenant was found was possibly right under the post hole of Christ's cross. And when he bled, the blood trickled down, and there's like this like cave thing almost that goes down to it. And I'm like, to the mercy seat. And I'm just like, wow, man. So you're talking about in, like in, like in Jerusalem? In Jerusalem. Because the point. crucifixion site would be typically is outside the city walls, right? So Golgotha wouldn't be inside the city, but so so the where the cross was there, there's it goes somewhere underneath. Yeah, somehow. So when he was when it was finished, okay, the ground cracked and made this pathway down to what was but down like an underground cave, and supposedly this has been found. Oh, wow. Where at one point that the Ark of Covenant was reportedly. Kept, kept, really, 
And again, I, I don't, I, I can't cooperate that. I just sure. was, it just found that fascinating and it wouldn't surprise me if that was true. Yeah. Wouldn't um, surprise me though. I'd be just like the Lord to put something like that together. Right. right. That's why. But there is yeah. apparently this hole and, and you can see the square post hole where at least it was believed crucifixions did happen, whether or not it was his or not. Right. There's a lot of, but there's a lot of reason to believe that that might've happened. It, but all that to say, there's just so much historical right. evidence that, that all this took place. Yeah. Same with the resurrection. So we'll let you dive into that. No, that's good, man. I, I think one of the beautiful things about the crucifixion is, is so much of what's happening there also looks like Exodus 19 and, and God, um, the Lord coming down on the mountain and the, the darkness, the thunder, the lightning, the smoke, the fire, the earthquake, and God's revealing himself uh, in the sight of Israel to Moses. And, and you get the same thing on this hill of crucifixion, darkness, earthquake, um, and, and God revealing himself. So, so these, that's not um, accidental, Right. You know, all these things God is weaving together to show us what he's doing. I mean, and, and that, you know, again, this is not a Bible episode, but it shows you the cohesive nature of the text. These things aren't disconnected. And history and the playing out of history and these events are not disconnected. God is weaving them together. Yes. The, the, the book of Revelation gives us that picture. You know, they get Revelation 4 and 5 and, and John... Um, sees this book and he weeps because there's nobody worthy to open the book. And, and, and the angel says, Hey, don't, don't cry. Don't, don't weep. The, the line of the tribe of, tribe of Judah, he is found worthy. He can open the book. And, and chapter six and seven is him opening the book. And, and as he opens each seal, historical things are happening. Agricultural things are happening. Economic things are happening. And, and what is John telling us by the inspiration of the Holy spirit? He's telling us that Jesus runs history. <laughs> he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the Creator, and so it's not a surprise that from a post hole in the ground to darkness, that God is running this and He's putting on display His glory, and and so those kind of things, those are faith giving, right? Yeah. That's huge. Um, when you talk about the resurrection, like uh, I, I put in my notes, proofs of the resurrection, and I want to qualify that because um, there's no silver bullet when it comes to defending the faith. There's no um, instant uh, silver bullet that produces faith because faith can't be produced by logic. Mm -hmm. Faith is a gift of God. Uh, and there's no silver bullet that refutes any and all claims against Christianity. Uh, but what we can do, however, um, is glean some nuggets of truth from the text of the Bible um, and their claims that help bolster our faith that God gives to us. And so when I say proofs of the resurrection, don't come looking for some ironclad like, there it is. That There's no such thing. Right. Um, faith is a gift of God. Faith is sustained by the grace of God, and as in in the middle middle uh, middle deponent, well, grammar there for everybody, we live by faith we exercise our faith and it is sustained by God at the same time so there's not a there's not a silver bullet um, but what we can do is when we look at the resurrection there are there are some logical components that we can take in from the text that help us to see some of the things we've talked about already um, that that this is not a fancy this is not just a story this is reality mm -hmm. and so here's the first one I've got 
quick eight of these things. The first one is Jesus was dead, not simply passed out. Yes. Like, there is no such thing. There used to be this uh, theory that I think it's called the swoon theory. Jesus is just kind of passed out. Um, a, um, it's impossible to survive crucifixion. I'm sure there are some who have possibly. I've never read of them. Um, but these soldiers, number one, on their life, I'm um, going to make sure these cats are dead. Because if they're not dead, they're going to be dead. And right. they're, they're going home at the end of the day, yeah. bottom line. And so they're going to do what they have to do to make sure this person is dead. And so not only is crucifixion brutal, as you pointed out, um, these guys made sure Jesus was dead. And the, and the Gospels record for us them making sure they're dead. And so in the instance of the two crucified beside Jesus, their legs were broken. In his instance, his spear uh, was thrust up into his side to ensure he was dead. Jesus wasn't passed out. Jesus was simply dead. Yes. So there's no such thing as Jesus being passed out. He was dead, um, which leads to to one down down the line, and we'll get to it in a second. But uh, number two, eyewitness and early accounts of Jesus' resurrection. Um, Luke chapter one, first three verses. They claim Luke, being a doctor, is claiming what he is writing is a result of his historical research. So the claim of the text, you look at it um, on the surface. Luke's claim is not, this is a fanciful story. He's writing to a guy named Theophilus. And Theophilus, he wants Theophilus to know that his faith is rooted in something that's real. So he said, I've compiled an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you can know that what you believed is rooted in reality. That's paraphrasing Luke's words. And so these guys are writing historical records of what happened. And so these eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection are huge. So you got the two women at the tomb first, Mary and Mary, and then some accounts have another woman there. So you got the women, um, which, by the way, is huge because women's testimony didn't count. They were cattle, and so they didn't count in testimony. They couldn't testify. Jesus chose his first eyewitnesses to be women who the rest of the world wouldn't even count their testimony. And so if you're trying to prove something, definitely don't include women. So if they're just making up a story, they're going to hope Peter saw it. No, it was two right. women. So they're not making up a fanciful tale. They're just telling the truth. Yeah. And so these eyewitness accounts from the Marys, then to the apostles, uh, then to the larger crew, and then as as Corinthians points out, to 500 at one time. And so these eyewitness accounts are vital. Mm -hmm. And so they're recorded for us. Um, or they would have, I don't mean to cut you off, no, or they would have, like, he would have said, well, the, the soldiers guarding the tomb would have seen him, even though they, yeah. we know that they weren't awake yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And but, then they get paid off. In Matthew's account, Yeah, they get paid off, keep your mouth shut, and we'll right. keep you out of trouble. And they're like, yeah, just don't let us get killed, man. There are too many details about this to for it to be just made yeah. up because you're right at that time they would have not chosen women even if that had been the case they would have said oh yeah oh no i saw it yeah we I can't there. tell that because nobody's going to believe the story right so mary thank you <laughs> but you just sit down and shut up right because they're not going <laughs> to believe this it's like no these women saw it i don't care where you believe it or not they saw it mm -hmm. and that, like if you're making something up because i know <laughs> i know this from raising kids you, <laughs> this is by the way, this is a parenting tip. You can tell the truth from a lie 
based upon if it's too good to be true, it is. Right. <laughs> right? And and so if it's like they just produced all these men witnesses at first, no, that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. The women's job was to care for, they cared for the bodies, so they were going to come and um, and do their stuff. And they got there. And so, yeah, there's too many eyewitness accounts that are contrary to culturally acceptable norms. And they weren't trying to be culturally acceptable, just trying to tell the truth. Yeah. So that's just huge for me. Three, the empty tomb. Uh, Jesus is a historical figure. Far too much extra biblical evidence to that. Jesus is not a myth. He's a real person. Lived, born, lived, died. And um, they just ain't no body. Just not a body. Yeah. It, he's not there. And so there is a legit empty tomb. And so the fact that there is no body, either A, best hoax ever in the history of the world, ever, like awesome. Like you guys created a worldwide phenomena that's gleaned uncountable amounts of money, moved entire populations, shifted culture. Um, or, dudes, God is a, God, the son is alive. Right, so you kind of you got to pick a side there, right? And so there is an empty tomb. There is simply no body. Number four, Jesus' appearance to people that, um, and he continues, and that's kind of the eyewitness accounts. But Jesus intentionally shows himself to people. So that's the eyewitness account is one. These two are really one, but I broke them down into two. There's eyewitness accounts, but it's not like they stumbled upon him. Right. He intentionally revealed himself to them. Like he, he said, the angel in, in Matthew 28, the angel says, Hey, go tell the apostles, meet him in Galilee. And there you all, you all going to see him. And so they're excited and they leave and then they run into Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like Jesus could have waited to Galilee, but he didn't. He, he gave them a task through the angel and they're getting after it. And while they're obeying, he, he shows himself to them. And that just, yeah. that makes me happy. Well, and he didn't show up as a ghost. Like no. he's, in the, I mean, his ghost still has the wounds. Yeah. So it's not like they just, and they didn't yeah. just find a lookalike to pretend to be yeah. him either because who was going to volunteer to That's right. have hands and there are holes in their hands yeah. or wrist or yeah. their, in their side. He maintains his form because he's the eternal son of God. And, 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 and the truth of the matter is, that is what the eternal Son of God looks like. He's always looked like that. He's always, that's why we bear that image. It's not just the immaterial parts. Our physical bodies are part of the image of God. Jesus looks like us. We look like Jesus. That's why as Christians we treat, why Gnosticism and any movement inside Christianity that says treat this stuff poorly is evil. It's not poor. It's the image of Jesus, the eternal Son of God. So when he's raised from the dead, he doesn't take a new form he still has that form that bears the scars that sin cost. And so the Bible tells us when we see him, we're going to be like him because we'll see him as he is. So when he raises us, this body will be transformed to one that will never die again, but it's still going to look like this. That's good. Yeah. And so, yeah, he, he appeared. And, and so the women run into him because he reveals himself to them and they worship him. Beautiful. So Jesus just he appears to people because he intends to do good things to them and show them. Number five, the transformation of the apostles. Um, there is no way to dis- to explain how these apostles go from unbelief and and in Peter's instance, Tom- Thomas doubt. Peter has a moment of fear and gives in. Um, James uh, is just kind of the skeptical brother James the the so you you got James the skeptical brother 
Um, you got Peter who gives in to fear, and you got Thomas who just doubts. And what we have on the backside of the resurrection is Thomas going to India. Like, like Thomas, there's a history in India of the apostle Thomas. Man, he set out on the mission. He's got to get after it, boys. Yeah. And so the gospel goes to what is in India now because of Thomas. Like, you don't do that for a hoax. Like, you find a way to get rich, hang out in Jerusalem, feed yourself, make it to the end, nice, comfortable life. No, Thomas gives his life up in India for the sake of the resurrected Christ. Peter will end up being crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself to be worthy to crucify, be crucified like the Lord himself. Um, James is going to be martyred. <laughs> These guys, transformation um, has to be rooted in something, and it's not to keep a hoax alive. Right. Well, and and they don't go to those depths of doing that if Jesus simply just died and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and the interesting part is he told them this was going to happen. Like they, right. they, they saw him raise Lazarus. I assume that they were all there yeah. when he did. So it's, mm. but it just goes to show our, our weak ability, you know, our weakness and our vulnerability to accept yeah. those kinds of things. And so if they, if they didn't witness that and get to walk with him again, yeah. that's what ultimately yeah. was the, the, catapult or the catalyst to get them to Absolutely. go and build his church. Amen. That's right. So then this was connected, uh, the, the, the apostles' willingness to die. So they were transformed in their character, but then that transformation produced the fruit of being willing to die. That's number six. Number seven, presence and growth of a Christian church. You can't explain the presence of, and, and, and here understand like the people of God, not a building. A building is not a church. But the people of God, like organized uh, by city, interrelated, networked across the world, um, become a force that absolutely over time shatters the Roman Empire to the place now you get mass corruption, you know, past the Edict of Milan, 312-ish, where you have the Holy Roman Empire. But the Christian church's presence can only be explained by an event such as the resurrection, where the founder of this movement is alive. There's, there's no other way to explain that apart from something supernatural happening. Mm -hmm. And then finally, shift from Sabbath day of worship from uh, the Sabbath day to the first day of the week, which is Sunday, which is, you know, we don't recognize Sunday as the first day of the week, but it's the first day of the week. Monday's the second day of the week. And so what happens is Sabbath being Saturday, um, synagogues who not all of them but the christian church being birthed out of that sort of synagogue model begins to gather on sunday why because that's the day jesus got up and so you have this shift in what is considered a sabbath day in the christian church to the day commemorating his resurrection mm -hmm. and so that that that's a big deal and so these things aren't ironclad um because again Logical proofs can't create faith, right? but they can certainly bolster that faith that is there to help us go, yeah, that makes sense. And, and in so doing, help us in moments of weakness. And, and so the resurrection produces for us, the cross and the resurrection produces our salvation, but it's also powerful to sustain us um, on non-Easter weekends, yes. you know, on other times of the year where we remember, no, this is real. Like I'm not making this up. I didn't seek to make it up. 
this happened. This is real. I believe this, and I can hang on for one more day. Yeah. And so those are some some proofs of the resurrection that I hope you guys will find helpful um, as you navigate life. So do you have any takeaways, Chris? I think just, you know, nothing fancy today. I think the takeaway is just, number one, uh, repent and believe Amen. if you're not. And number two, don't allow this to be a once-a-year kind of process of thinking. I think it's important that mm, we, all good. of our faith, everything we are stems from these events of his, Jesus' death and resurrection and they are a huge symbol of our lives. The fact that he mm. purchased that payment, he yeah. went to the cross to do it, to do it once, and that was good enough for all. And that his grace mm. is sufficient yeah. for us. And so he's not a god that seeks to repay our sin or our evil. He's already done that. And I think there's a freedom there that we need to be reminded to live in. Because I know mm-hmm. I'm guilty of looking shamefully at myself or being disgusted by decisions I made or, or failures that I've done, whether it's recent or far back, it's easy to go back and do that. But to know that when he looks on me, he doesn't see that is something that is not only freeing, but it just spurs me to just want to erupt in song. And while it's easy to do that on Easter Mm. Sunday, it's basically our Super Bowl (laughs) as Christians. If you can't worship on Easter Sunday, but I think there's a component there to be reminded of this, every week, every day, every moment, mm. and to walk in that. That's a good word. And and, and I, I would uh, I would say one of the challenges that I think we all find, uh, and this is very, like, hands in the dirt, but Easter has a hard time culturally competing with Christmas, and yet it is the superior. Like it's the Super Bowl right. of our holy days. And yet, at the same time, it almost feels like a forgotten one. Like even in my own soul, I, I got, I'm not the hugest fan of the church calendar. I'm a true Protestant at heart. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of what happened through the. This is not a church history podcast, but I love church history so much. The activity of God that as Protestants we're unaware of that God moved mightily in the Middle Ages, um, and God moved mightily through a very corrupt church. Um, so. It's not like the Reformation saved the faith. That's arrogant. <laughs> the Reformation did not save the faith because no man saves the faith. Jesus runs the faith. Um, Jesus refines his church. And so some of that's my fault for um, being hypercritical of, of some of the established church's problems through the late half of the Middle Ages. But, um, man, so much of what was created in in that good stuff is a calendar that's very Christian, and that's a good thing. Uh, so even I pay more attention to Advent than I do this season of Lent that leads up to the resurrection, and that's my fault. And I have my own problems there. But but all that to say, don't let the cultural sidelining of Resurrection Sunday lead to an internal devaluing of Resurrection Sunday. Um, Find ways, and I probably need to assist in this by doing a better job of highlighting it, even in our sermon series, probably need to do more Lent stuff. And I just, I take that to heart often every year. And sometimes we've done that. Sometimes we haven't done that. Um, But I don't want to contribute to demeaning this day by not giving it the attention it deserves. Yeah. And I think I've done that. Uh, over the years, and and then finally, parentally, parents, be careful um, with this day. It's okay to have as much fun. Like uh, the Reese's peanut butter egg is the best 
of the Reese's, <laughs> and that's an Easter production. Robin eggs are the best. <laughs> Amazing candy. I love Robin's eggs, malted, whatever that stuff is with chocolate around it. And it's easy to get into all the cultural stuff of Easter and miss the point. Enjoy all of it, whatever, right? I don't care. But don't let it overshadow the fact that there is a cross and an empty tomb. And anything that detracts from that, we probably ought to emphasize less. So whatever you do, don't let the cross and the empty tomb go without emphasis. Um, Figure out your ways to do that. You can do it different. Every family does it different. We had ways of doing it. The boys got Easter baskets, but they were full of C.S. Lewis books. They were full of Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan and and Reese's peanut butter eggs and Cadbury eggs and fun stuff. But but man, we made sure we made sure that sitting over all of that was the cross and the resurrection. Figure out your way to do it and make sure it gets emphasized. Guys, we appreciate you listening. Thank you for uh, our supporters. We're exceptionally grateful for those who support Theology in the Dirt. Uh, we work hard to come up with content. We study. Chris has a job outside of this. I have a job outside of this. But we have a lot of fun doing this, and we always yeah. comment when we turn this thing off that that was just fun. It is. And we have a good time. So we hope you feel um, from us that we enjoy doing this and we appreciate um, you guys who support us we appreciate you guys who listen our audience is growing a little bit we have a small audience and our audience is increasing a little bit so as you share the podcast um, as you rate it and do all that stuff you help other people find it so if you find Theology in the Dirt helpful uh, please share it share it with family friends uh, give us a good rating and it helps us we're available on all kinds of platforms Yeah. and so Spotify Apple Pocket Cast Anchor all those good things like iHeartRadio it's all there so you find your favorite share it and if you have any feedback for us anything you'd like to hear you can give it to us at theologyandirt at gmail.com y'all have a great Easter weekend Jesus is alive out peace out like the arrows of the enemy I will run against Calvary that rugged hill of hell's defeat my fortress and my victory my sin